You're listening to Consolidate That. Welcome back to Consolidate That. I'm really excited for the guest that we have today. Ivan, why don't you go ahead and introduce Clint to us? Hi, I'm Ivan Zach. Very excited to introduce my friend Clint Latham. He is the founder of the company called Luca, and he owns two senior Yorkies. Clint understands the need to have a trusted veterinarian to care for his family members. Clint's goal is to help veterinarians realize the value of their data and help them to take steps to protect it so that they can focus on what is most important, quality care for our four-legged family members. While working and speaking with veterinary hospitals all across country, Clint saw a drastic increase in number of cyber attacks to veterinary industry. Clint decided to build a solution to keep hospitals protected while simultaneously keeping IT costs under control, providing veterinary hospitals the services they need and nothing they don't. Clint, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I guess I should probably update my bio listening to you say that because, yeah, our Yorkies unfortunately passed away this year. We're now in full-on puppy mode. We waited like three months, I think, and then, yeah, now we're in new puppy mode. So we have a boodle now, so I should say, like, I guess. Oh, I have a what is that? This is anything with it's, poodle. So what is that? Woodle? Yeah, it's a, he's a soft-coated Wheaton Terrier mixed with a poodle. Oh, wow. I'm behind. I'm I, behind. I yeah. don't know what the first part was, but I know what a poodle is. Yeah, wheat interior. I didn't really know much about him either, but then it just kind of like, as far as like everything we were kind of looking for in a dog, it just checked all the boxes. So yeah, that's my my. I just story. like to say woodle. That would be so yeah. cool. No, <laughs> exactly, woodle. Yeah. Well, you don't know? Yeah. That's yeah. really good. <laughs> well, Clint, it, it's been a while since we connected last time. I know you were just starting with Luca and I thought it was a really cool idea. We just started with VIS and, you know, we were talking about helping consolidators from different angles. And it seems like you progressed in that way more than we did. <laughs> so you're working with multiple consolidators and uh, you're also working with individual hospitals. But I want to dive into what we started to share before the recording. You told us about the attacks that are happening at the hospitals and consolidators and some figures associated with that. So why don't we start with that? Yeah. So I guess what we were talking about is that the veterinary industry as a whole is really interesting when it comes to cybersecurity, because when you talk to a, a consolidator, like every time we have a meeting with like a CEO of a consolidator, they're really worried about the data. But then on the flip side, they're not really worried about it, right? It's like, oh, who really wants Fluffy's medical records? What we were talking about earlier is that it's interesting in that VetMed a number of years ago was kind of caught up in cybersecurity incidents from a criminal standpoint as these attackers were going after the medical industry as a whole. And so VetMed kind of got lumped into that as an ancillary. What we've seen over the last couple of years is actually direct targeted attacks towards the industry as a whole. And with consolidators, consolidators are in a really unique position because there's a lot more money flowing through the consolidator. And so once the criminal or cyber criminal realizes that the hospital that they've crafted a fake resume for or whatever, because we're always hiring, once they realize that that hospital is owned by a consolidator, they realize the pockets are much deeper. So we generally see claims so I'm not sure how deep you want me to go here, but generally it's two stages, right? It used to just be like if they were going to deploy some sort of ransomware attack, they'd get in, lock you out of the data, and it was done. Once they lock you out of the data these days, especially within the last 12 to 18 months, they've already been there for weeks. So they have started pulling all sorts of data. They hide the traffic, making it look like it's Adobe signatures that are coming through. So hopefully your firewalls and stuff like that don't catch it. They look for other ways to try to mask massive amounts of data coming through. 
So it looks like normal traffic. So maybe they might hide it as like you're using one of these vet vaults. They may try to use the same signatures so that you can't see 200, 300 gigs worth of data coming off the network, but they steal all your data. Then they tell you they have their all of your client records. They're going to then sell it on the dark web unless you pay them. And then if you refuse, then they lock you out of your data. So what's interesting is, is as they're targeting, if they realize that you're part of a consolidator, that claim usually goes, it'll still usually stay below a half million dollars because the half million dollars is the FBI threshold. So in order for the FBI in the United States to get involved, it has to be over half a million dollars before they'll even look at the claim. So if they stay just below that, they know in this case is with consolidators are moving hundreds of millions of dollars a quarter a month that to request 400,000, 500,000, you know, 449, that they're going to have the money to do it. And they're really sticklers about it. Whereas opposed to the individual hospital that's individually owned, they're usually requesting about 135,000. And I think the AVMA, their cybersecurity PLIT in 2019 was about $132,000 was their average claim for 2019. So we can imagine that that's gone up somewhat over the last year, especially since we've seen a 400% increase in cyber attacks, especially since the start of COVID. There's so much interesting that you said there. So essentially there is a business out there that attacks veterinary hospitals or consolidators and they have a price tag. Essentially, there's also FBI has a price tag when they would care about you. <laughs> so I assume if you have 15 hospitals attacked each by 400,000, they would still say, I don't want to deal with it because it's only one 400 each. I don't know how that works. Yep. Another big thing that happens a lot is like business email compromise happens a lot in the consolidator space, again, because they know the amount of money that's moving around. So they try to get access to the email account, request wire transfers, all sorts of stuff. I mean, now we're seeing SMS messages that are pretending to be the CEOs of these companies. We've seen wire transfers of fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. We've seen them get upwards of like $90,000 where they start requesting these wire transfers. And then unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, it's the third or fourth wire transfer. Then somebody, you know, somebody higher up is like, well, wait a minute, this where's this money going? It's not coming to us. But you're right used to be $250,000, but then I think it was in 2018, they raised it to $500,000 because they were so inundated with requests they couldn't keep up. So rather than figuring out a way to stop it, they just raised the threshold. And yeah, they just said, we're not going to do yeah, that. Sounds right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that right. Yeah. That's so interesting. So now you got me worried uh, on many levels. So we have now something that nobody cared about. And, you know, I was, again, just with a certain degree of not being educated on the topic. I thought, okay, well, what can they steal from the vet hospitals? That Fluffy had diarrhea last week, like what kind of data? And this is way more serious, especially locking down the data. I'm going to take a little bit turn into this whole situation that we were dealing for the last three years in VIS is the data merging, normalization, and everything else. So in order to operate business, I mean, some consolidators do pull the Excel sheets and from 80 hospitals together into one. But those that are more sophisticated, they put the extraction agents, whether it's ACT, Bitworks, or, you know, vet data, data point, whatever you're using or something proprietary, they put a data agent on the server-based applications and then pull the data in the central warehouse. I assume that everything that's gone to AWS or Google is very well protected once it's there. How safe it is, and do you know anything about these extraction agents? Is that making a hole in the data and it's compromising the data? Or like, is there anything that we can know better about using these extraction agents? You've been there. Is it encrypted end to end? Yeah, no. 
Exactly. And that's the other thing. So the other piece that we hear a lot in the vet space is honestly, like if, if a hospital came to me, a new person came to me and they're like, I'm really concerned about cybersecurity. I want to make sure that we were protected. I would still have them go server-based today. It's far safer. And everybody says, well, why is that? When it's in the cloud, there's the redundancy. There isn't a single cloud-based practice management system that has, like, if you go to it's the federal agency, it's the Security and Information Security Administration, one of those big acronyms like the NSA, they release bulletins. And they also helped, the White House released a letter in June of this year about like their top five things that all businesses across the U.S. should do from a cybersecurity standpoint. And that was after like, you know, these $40 million ransomware hits to CNA and the beef plant. But there isn't a single cloud-based practice management system out there that take some basic cybersecurity approaches to help not allow access to that data if my credentials are compromised. There's nothing in there. Like I'm talking very basic stuff, 2FA, basic location lockdown, like locking it to the IP. I think one of them will allow you to log in from an IP address. So if you have a static IP, you you can lock it there. But other than that, if I get on the network and then the credentials are still compromised, like 2FA, basic stuff isn't there. So what we see a lot is in this business email compromise, especially cloud-based practices, once they get access to the clinic email and how many clinics out there, even with consolidators, because they do the buy and hold, right? So it's by the hospital, put them in the bucket, don't change anything. So that hospital's still running on that free Gmail account that they've been using for 20 years. It's still the IDEX 123 password or whatever it is that, <laughs> you know, that's the same password that they've used for everything. They get in, they get access to the email account. They're able to recover a login credential for the cloud-based practice management system. They start pulling invoices because now they can basically log into that practice management system from anywhere. They start pulling invoices from that hospital. Then they log in as the account and send invoices to all your customers saying, hey, you didn't pay for this dental. Remember this $365.23 change and here's all the the items. And the customer's like, oh yeah, we did do that, but I'm pretty sure we paid. Or they're like, hey, your credit card didn't go through. Can you repay this? And so we'll see hundreds of thousands of dollars being paid to some fake bank account that's not going to the hospital. And then the hospital catches on or people start calling like, no, I see the charge on my account. And I, but yet I just paid you again. I need you to refund me. And so now the hospital is dealing with this whole like customer management thing. You have people leaving because like, what the hell? You charged me twice. And then it's it's a huge mess. So, I mean, I got on my soapbox there a little bit, but still today, because of some of those risks, it's far easier for us to protect a server-based practice management system. We can really lock down the access controls. We can monitor who has access to the data, how it's being pulled out. We can limit the data tools. We can do all that with the cloud. It's kind of, it's the wild west and we have no idea what, A, how they have it protected, assuming they have good IAM controls within AWS or the Google Cloud, but we don't know. So Clint, coming from a PIMS background and being a fan of the cloud-based PIMS as a user experience, the ease and sort of the software technology side of it, what do you think is a good, happy medium there? I think a lot of the industry understands the need to be cloud-based just for flexibility and growth and so that you're not running an extremely old, outdated software and for financial Minus getting attacked, it's financially beneficial to not have a server yeah. in, in your own yeah. cloud. What sort of the options there? I would challenge the question on beneficial of not having a server. 
there's two pieces there. So if I put my CIO hat on, so if I was like the chief information officer for a bunch of hospitals, if I take the cost of a good server, we're talking SSDs, RAID 5, RAID 10, however you want to configure it, that hardware is probably going to cost me seven to $10,000 one time, right? And it'll probably cost me three to $4,000 in labor, depending on what the hourly rate is, where I'm at to have an IT professional set that up. If I amortize that over a seven-year period, the life of that server, and especially with some of the support costs, it's still far cheaper than going to the cloud, especially with some of the big ones like EasyVet. EasyVet's insanely expensive to switch to. Yeah. It is not cheaper in any way to go to EasyVet. So from a cost perspective, a local server still, you can't beat it. I mean, you can't beat that cost when you spread it out over the life of the server. It's just far cheaper. You know, So you take twelve dollars to $14,000, divide that over a seven-year period, what's your monthly cost? Versus if you go to Cornerstone Cloud or if you go to EasyVet or if you go to... Now, Rhapsody has an has a unique kind of billing model, which may allow you to you know save some money there. But that would be my first thing. The second piece, though, is if I also look at it from a reliability on the infrastructure side of things, the cloud is beneficial in that it helps reduce our dependency on the local infrastructure. But again, we're now heavily dependent on internet. And most hospitals aren't ready to then put in a duplicate line, right? And you also need a firewall to be able to handle the redundancy for that duplicate line. So now you add the cost of a second business class line, a firewall and the yearly subscription, is it really cheaper? I don't think so with the hundreds of hospitals that we've looked at and talked about this conversation. But to play devil's advocate to myself, I do think it does make the workflow the overall hardware that you should have to purchase. I mean, at that point, if you're cloud-based, you could probably throw in like buy a couple Chromebooks, throw them in the closet. If a machine dies, just throw that Chromebook there. You're up and running in a couple of minutes because you basically just need a web browser. So there are some benefits and it depends on where you want to spend your money and in what's important to you. So I don't know that that was the right answer. For me, I do think the cloud is the future. Once we as an industry can start thinking about cybersecurity being important rather than an an afterthought and something that we kind of have to do and that one of these companies is going to get hit, right? I mean, we already saw MBA get hit, 400 hospitals that got hit because of some infrastructure that they use and how they access all their hospitals and kind of how they set things up. And so with the Kaseya attack, it's only going to be a matter of time before we see one of these other companies get hit, what we call the supply chain attack, because now you have access to thousands of businesses and not just one or maybe a hundred. Yeah. I still have tons of questions. One is a very, <laughs> very quick answer <laughs> that you can provide. One is which PIMS has that local IP login lock? I think it's EasyVet that it will allow you to log it by location. I think they're the only one right now that will allow that. Nobody has 2FA, which is basic, right? Can you expand that because not everybody understands what that is? Oh, yeah. So two-form factor authentication. So basically, yeah. and it can be done really nicely so that it's not an interruption to the hospital. So basically, I need some way to authenticate myself after I enter an email address and password, right? Yeah. Because if we look at the history of cybersecurity, the idea that when software was being made that we would have to have user accounts to protect people from accessing it was, wasn't even something we thought right. about, right? Like it mm -hmm. wasn't, cybercrime wasn't there. And so it was an afterthought, like how do we put a bandaid on this problem? Well, again, if we look at most hospitals, again, their passwords are on sticky notes everywhere. Oh, yeah. You know, like when we do an audit, if we do a physical audit, you'd be surprised the amount of information I can get in 
just by coming in and putting my elbows on the counter and asking for an appointment, the amount of information I get, bank accounts, you name it, right? <laughs> so we know hospitals as a whole generally aren't very data protective or conscious when it comes to cyber threats. So we have really bad username and password combinations that likely have been exposed hundreds of times. And then we don't have this secondary piece to where if that, you know, somebody then tries to log in as us, it alerts us. And where I think this can be done really nicely is that, you know, especially with browsers, all browsers are fingerprinted unless you're using the Brave browser. But I doubt anybody in a hospital is using Brave. I think 99.9% of hospitals use Google Chrome. Yeah. So that browser is fingerprinted. So once you authenticate once with 2FA, it should hold that 2FA for 30 to 60 days before you have to re-authenticate. So it's not like every morning you have to come in, pick up the phone, hit yes to say, yes, it's me, or go into an email account and get a unique code to log you in or use Authy or one of these easy 2FA applications. But if our credentials were compromised and somebody saying Bangladesh then tried to log in as us, it's going to see a new location. It's going to request that 2FA you should get then get immediately notified that somebody was trying to access your account from a new location. And then it immediately notifies you to change your passwords because you've been compromised. So these are basic things that we can do to help keep this data safe that we just aren't doing. More questions? <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, I'm so moving into a Faraday cage. That's all I know. I'm just going to... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything. Yeah. I'm going off the grid now, guys. So this is my last podcast. Sure. Yeah, don't get uh, me started on, on personal privacy. <laughs> so so here's the scenario, just to be practical for those that listen to this, because a lot of consolidators are. There's two things that as a consolidator I want to do as soon as I buy a hospital. I want to be able to get the data. And that's where I started with the question. So I kind of want to go back to it and ask it again. What we probably would do immediately when we buy a hospital, we would want to put some sort of agent and, you know, there's like five, six providers right now, and then we want to get the data. So that's part one question. And how safe is that and how that compromises in addition, or if you have other means, then this particular gateway for the data for yourself is not that dangerous or how can you protect it? And the second question kind of leading to, well, we'll help with the first one. As soon as we bought the hospital, Let's say our message, we're not changing anything, at least for now. And then your PIMS is your PIMS. Let's leave even the cloud out of it. Or a combination of, because we might have 20, 30 hospitals, cloud plus server base. What are those things that are during acquisition? So this is where softball to you. So how do you find you to help with the pre-assessment? But then after that, what do you do at minimum after? Because early consolidators don't have the finances to actually invest into the full infrastructure. What are those minimal things that if I have a combination of server-based and cloud-based that I should do immediately post-acquisition? Okay. So the first thing, I mean, if I was a consolidator and let's say I, I want stuff to be in AWS because I want the development platform, right? I want all that, all the fancy stuff that comes with it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Just, I mean, you can do end-to-end -end VPN connections from as long as the server, again, this is another problem is that most hospitals don't have a firewall, a basic business class firewall either, right? Like doing basic IDPS, so which is intrusion detection system. So, but if they do have a firewall, I mean, you basically just could create, I mean, within AWS, you can create as many end-to-end -end connections as you want. And then once that data is encrypted, you're fine, right? I mean, think about it like if you are using the internet, like every time, you know, there's this whole idea that VPNs are the end-all be-all of security. You know, you hear this a lot on the radio and, you know, oh, ExpressVPN, you know, you want to be safe. And it's like, well, if I go to a coffee shop 
I won't touch anything work related unless I'm connected to a VPN. Is at that point it encrypts my communication. And so what's fun to do is you can, I mean, there is free software. There are operating systems that I can install on a thumb drive. There's one called Tails. I plug it into my computer, it will boot, and there are a whole bunch of hacking tools. One thing I can do is I can buy a $20 Wi-Fi card off of Amazon, plug it in, put it in monitoring mode, and it just sniffs every bit of traffic that's coming through. So like, I'm not recommending this. I haven't done this. Sure, you did. <laughs> no one saw you wink. This is a <laughs> yeah. podcast. I yeah. saw him wink. Did you? So if you wanted to get free Wi-Fi at a hotel, or you wanted to figure out what room somebody was staying in, you sit in a hotel lobby because the way Wi-Fi works, why, this is another thing most people don't understand, is that when you're a Wi-Fi access point, until everybody switches to Wi-Fi 6, and then there's still some limitations there. But with Wi-Fi, is that when I sit down in that lobby and I would go to log in, I'm like, and it asks me, what room number and what's your last name? As soon as I key that in, my computer tries to communicate to the access point. When the access point communicates back to me, it sends the request to every device connected to that access point. It's then up to the device to say, nope, not me, not me, not me, not me, not me, not me. And then your computer says, yeah, it's me. So if I have a cheap $20 Wi-Fi card that's running on tails in monitoring mode, I can sniff all that traffic and I can dump it to a massive log file. There's a guy called Cam the Carter who used to go to small businesses, including veterinary hospitals. He would sit in the parking lot and he would use basically Wi-Fi sniffing because the way credit card transactions used to work is the computer used to have to hold it in the raw text in memory. So he knew once he could grab that kind of raw memory, and I'm making this really short, there's a lot more technical stuff that he did, he could get credit cards. So he stole, I think it was like $50 million just by accessing free Wi-Fi from small businesses. So quick question, how exactly did you fund your initial startup? <laughs> uh, actually, uh, uh, a friend in the industry was the one who was like, dude, we need to do this. And I was like, I've got some money to help keep myself alive. I need some money to start investing in this. And that's how it all came about. Yeah. What should I do as a consolidator if I'm buying yeah. a hospital with server or cloud? Are there measures that we can call Clint and say, Clint, can you help us? Yeah. And even that, it's free. So if you go to our website, luca.vet, You'll see this. There's a button at the top that says five simple steps to protect your hospital. Click on that. It's an ebook. It gives you the five things that you can do that basically are free. You know, like we do recommend a password manager. That's pretty cheap, you know, anywhere from five to 10 bucks a month, depending on how many users and how complicated you want to get with it. But it's got five things in there that you can do to really help step up your cybersecurity game that really don't, you don't have to involve us. Now, if you wanted to reduce the load, one thing that we talk about in the book is just backups. I can't tell you of all the audits we've done, consolidator or not, again, because most consolidators are buy and hold. They don't really touch it. The IT guy stays in place. There hasn't been a single hospital that we've audited that I've said, if you got hit, you'd be able to recover. And I can't tell you how many hospitals that we've audited or looked at. So, I mean, I think to any consolidator out there, that should be the scariest thing, right? Because what's the, if I come to you, like, let's say I was going to, I owned a hospital and I was like, Hey, Ryan and Ivan, like, I want to sell you my hospital. Like you said, you're like, okay, cool. Let us tap in the PIMS. I'm like, well, yeah, about that. My practice management system is empty. How much are you going to give me for the hospital? Yeah, that will drop in price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. a new business now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. 
because you have no customer records. And it's this idea that, oh, well, who wants Fluffy's records? With CCPA, GDPR that's in the UK, and now CCCPA being replicated, I think, amongst eight other states in the US, and CCPA is the California Consumer Protection Act. There are some, and we've worked with some data attorneys on some audits with some consolidators as we've gone through this, because there are a bunch of legal requirements once they get access to that data. And then depending upon what what data they've accessed, you then have to provide privacy protection services like LifeLock kind of stuff for your customers. How much does that cost? You know, how many customers do you have in that database? What does that cost? So there's this idea that oh, we don't really have any data that's of any value. And it's like, no, you do. And you just don't realize it. And again, if we think about like the Covetresses and these other big titans of the industry, there's a reason that they want those data connectors in your hospital. Like, just like Martin, I love Martin, but Martin and I will get into this conversation all the time. And Martin's like, yeah, it's not worth anything. And I'm like, Martin, if it's not worth anything, why do you want it? Why do you want the exactly. data? Because it is worth something. And it's just, unfortunately, the veterinarian is told that it's not worth anything and we shouldn't have to worry about it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you please help us again? And where do people find you if they want to tap into this whole wisdom that you have and find help on the cybersecurity? Where's the best place to find you? Yeah, you can just go to our website. It's www.luca.vet. You can go to our free like education resource button there. Uh, we put out a new article that's cybersecurity and veterinary related every week. So I think we have hundreds of articles there that touch on the industry specific. If you want to learn about that way, we are also have the free ebook. So again, it's called Five Simple Steps to Protect Your Hospital. You can download that and take a look at that and start implementing that sort of stuff. You know, hand it to your practice manager if if you're a consolidator, I know most of them sometimes have like a director of IT, but that one person is trying to manage, you know, hundred hospitals. So I'm assuming they probably don't have the bandwidth for it. Again, another interesting job I probably wouldn't want. I think when we're talking about the consolidator space, because yeah, really overworked and a lot of problems for them to manage. So you can hand it to them and then maybe they can get it to the practice managers that can then kind of learn how to start implementing this stuff over a weekend or, you know, spread it over a few, few days to really start protecting the hospital. I also do a podcast, not anything cybersecurity related. It's called The People of Veterinary Medicine. So we just try to find amazing people doing amazing things in vet med and tell their story. This really doesn't have anything to do with cybersecurity, but we just love the people in the industry and yeah, trying to tell their story. And then, uh, yeah, I'll be speaking at Wild West Vets and Fetch this year, also the Independent Veterinary Practice Association, but I don't think that probably doesn't matter to consolidate. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. Great, Clint. Well, thank you again so much for for joining us. This was eye-opening and fantastic to hear. And we, we hope to have you back again for another episode. Yeah, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it, guys. Well, two more questions that we usually ask at the end. Is there a book, a video, or a TED Talk, or anything that inspired you recently that you would recommend to the listeners? If you're interested in just overall the impacts that data have on you as an individual, which then definitely replicates to business, is Edward Snowden's permanent record. Of I course. think it's probably <laughs> one of the most important books that's been written when it comes to technology and the impact that it plays. And you'll be, you'll really be amazed at the stuff that that's going on that we don't realize and how much of our lives are really being tracked on a day-to-day -day basis and how much of you is really out there that you, that's permanent. You can never erase. So I think that's really important. Yeah. That's if awesome. I had to read, if I had to read a book. And we also uh, ask usually for someone else in the industry that you think would be a great guest for this podcast. If you haven't interviewed him yet, I think Josh Weissman would be great. I think Josh would be amazing just because one thing that we talk a lot about in cybersecurity is the importance of what Josh calls psychological safety. And so what I mean by that is that we've 
come into a lot of hospitals where the receptionist makes a mistake because these cyber criminals are professionals at tricking people. And then the manager's first response is to chastise that person for making a mistake. And it's like, no, what you don't realize is that these people are professionals and you have a receptionist that's not a cybersecurity professional to understand that they've been tricked. And we're an insanely empathetic industry. One reason that I love it. And so we need to find a way to allow our staff the psychological safety to be like, I think I made a mistake. I think somebody got me because those minutes are incredibly, incredibly valuable. So the sooner we can mitigate an incident and implement our incident response plan, the sooner it goes from a minor inconvenience to a major disaster, right? So allowing our staff to have the safety to come to us if they feel like they've made a mistake is insanely, insanely important. And I think Josh is also writing a book for AHA and like building culture in the hospital and stuff like that. So I think he'd be a great guest, especially oh, for- I love Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Any consolidators that are looking to change things. Up their game. Yeah. Well, Clint, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully we got you more exposure that you need as a business. And I have a lot of questions that I will ask after the recording. So- <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.